0: On Roar, I share real talks with top executives, thought leaders, luminaries, authors, and entrepreneurs who are passionate about building the next generation of inspired, empowered, game-changing leaders. Are you ready to fear less and move into your dream life? Let's Roar. Welcome to Roar. I'm your host, Lakeisha Gunter. So what do I mean by Roar? The beauty of ROAR is that it's both an acronym, the acronym stands for Reflection, Opportunity, Action, and Relationships, and it's an action. We are all born with it, a hidden power inside of us. It is a fire that is often suppressed by fear. That power is your ROAR, and it's waiting to be unleashed. Today, I'm excited to talk about how to secure a seat at the table. Tables of decision-making power exist in every arena of life whether in the halls of Congress, in the boardrooms of corporate America, or on a tennis court. The issue is that systems, tables, favor those already in power because it's the people in power who created those tables. Gaining a seat at the table can be a challenge for women in corporate America. This struggle can feel that much more challenging if you're a woman of color. Female representation at the highest decision-making levels is extremely low. When the playing field is groomed, and the rules of the game tailor-made by mostly men, the struggle to secure a seat at the table can feel like a losing battle than a fair fight. The best way to change the rules is to get a seat at the table or many seats at the table. Once you do that, you can change the makeup of the table. If those currently in the seats are unwilling to budge, take a cue from Shirley Chisholm. Shirley Chisholm shattered the glass ceiling in 1968 when she became the first black woman elected to Congress. Chisholm famously said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. I also call that BYOC, bring your own chair. Decades later, it turns out that it's still easier said than done. My guest today knows all about how to secure a seat at the table. I'm excited to have on the show today, Menda Hartz, the CEO of the Memo LLC, a career development platform for women of color. One of the memo's goals is to provide resources to help close the pay gap for women of color. In 2017, the most recent data available, the average Black woman earned 61 cents to every dollar earned by a white man, according to the data from the National Women's Law Center. That equals $23,653 per year. Over the course of a 40-year career, that adds up to $946,120 in lost wages. Menda is also the best-selling author of the memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. We will definitely dive into her book to learn exactly how we can secure our seat at the table immediately. Menda is an assistant professor at New York University Wagner. She has been featured on MSNBC's Morning Joe, Fast Company, The Guardian, and Time Magazine. Minda frequently speaks at companies like Microsoft, Intel, Nike, Google, Bloomberg, and many more on the topics such as leadership, managing diverse teams, and self advocacy. She also is the host of a weekly podcast called Secure the Seat. Let's welcome Minda to the show. So good to have you with us today, Minda. How are you?
1: Thank you, Lakeisha. I'm doing so good. Wonderful to reconnect.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think the last time we actually saw each other physically was back in 2019, November 2019, when you were on the West Coast and you were in the middle of your book tour. And we were so excited to have you pop by Intel at the time and have a conversation with us about your book.
1: I know it seems like a lifetime ago. (laughs) Doesn't
0: it? I think because we've all been locked in, you know, in our homes, you know, in this lockdown, I tell you, it has just been What can I say? Certainly, an unwelcome change, right? To life.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Good way to articulate it.
0: (laughs) Okay. And I don't know about you, but I have been looking left and right for just some escape from the four walls of my home. Are you feeling the same way in New York?
1: (laughs) I am feeling the exact same way. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. It's probably too much information, but I actually and at a hotel right now, just to get out to do some work outside of my house.
0: (laughs) Listen, I feel you. Exactly. I kid you not. I was just online looking last night saying, where can I go? I must get out. I must get out. So oh, well, listen. Let's. I'm excited to just kind of launch in and talk about just all the amazing things that have been happening. You know, since the launch of the book, and I mean, you've had a had an amazing career. Um, you know, prior to the book, but I can only imagine what it's been like. Has it truly been a whirlwind uh, of excitement?
1: Oh yeah. You know, it's so funny. I thought I never expected this, LaKeisha, and it's. I think I wake up every morning and just kind of am in awe of you know what the creator has enabled me Mm -hmm. to to do on this next journey in my life.
0: Well, I tell you, it's impacting so many people, not just women of color, but I'm sure you probably have some amazing stories of just the, the feedback that you've received from so many people who've been blessed by this amazing book. So I definitely want to talk about your book, right? I mean, the memo. What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table? We're going to launch into that because there's so many um, amazing nuggets in this really how-to secure a seat at the table. But before we do that, I'd love to just you know, give the audience an opportunity to learn a little bit more about you. I mean, we've heard your story. We've had a couple opportunities to interface in the last year. But for my audience, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and maybe who were some of your biggest influences growing up?
1: Yeah, thank you for that question. So for me, I grew up half my life in Southern California. And then when I was a teenager, my parents moved to Illinois outside of Chicago. And then the moment I was able, I loved the Windy City. But once I graduated from college, I made my way back to Los Angeles. Nothing like that California sun.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) And um, I spent 15 years of my career as a fundraising consultant. And I would work with some of the top 1% of those who hold wealth to help them put their names on buildings, create endowments, all of those sorts of things. Uh, Some may know it as development or philanthropy uh, in universities or nonprofits. And so there's someone who helps get that job done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So you came back to the West Coast. Who were some of your biggest influencers growing up?
1: Yeah. So I was a first generation college student and the first one in my family to enter into a corporate role. So many of my biggest influences were my family, Mm -hmm. you know, the women in my family, my grandmother, I was always with her on the weekends when I lived in California and my mom, you know, she was a a single mother initially and and a teen mom. And so just seeing her resilience and seeing her, you know, provide a life for me and make sure that, you know, I was taken care of in the best way she knew how and just seeing her kind of turn water into wine. It Mm -hmm. was one of the things that I realized, you know, just because you may not be given a lot doesn't mean you can't produce what you need to. And I, I really just kept that in the forefront and it really helped guide me through all the things that maybe people said I couldn't do so that I ended up doing them.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. Um, Mothers and grandmothers, huge influence in my life, too. I was just talking to a friend last night just about my mom. You know, she would not let the environment or life circumstances dictate the outcome that she desired. So a lot of resilience, to your point, developed through watching, learning, and conversations with mom and grandma, right?
1: Mm -hmm, Yep.
0: Love it. Love it. So, I mean, again, phenomenal career. I mean, not very many people can say they've worked with the top 1% of income earners in the country, right? And really allowing them to leverage their wealth in a good way to bless the rest of the world. So that's that's fantastic. And so talk a little bit about, you know, when you look back on your experiences growing up, right? We talked about some of your biggest influencers, but was there a defining moment that really stood out to help you find your voice, find your roar, to be able to navigate through any circumstance and really achieve the things that you desired?
1: Yeah, you know, one moment in my career, or not in my career, but growing up, I think, which was really pivotal for me, and I don't talk about the story often, but I was a a teenager, I was probably like 13 or 14. And I wanted to learn how to ride horses. Mm -hmm. And I come from a very humble beginning. So you know, my family definitely did not have money for me (laughs) to go learn how to ride horses. And I sat for a while in that. And I said, you know, just because we don't have the means doesn't mean that I can't still do this. And I literally, and I'm about to date myself a little bit here, Lakeisha, I pulled out the, the yellow pages. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. And um, I looked uh, for all those who don't know the phone book back right. in the day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. People were like, what, yellow book? What is that?
1: <laughs> it was the Google, but in a book format. So I looked up all the stables that I thought were close to my house. And I literally just, I wrote myself a little script on a piece of paper. I didn't tell anybody. I called all of the stables and I said, hey, you know, I would love to learn how to ride. I don't have the financial means to do so, but in exchange for learning how to ride lessons, I will come and help clean the stables, help with the horses. And I probably called about 20 stables. No, 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 no. And then one, all it took was one. This, these two sisters, they said, Well, yeah, sure. Come on out. And um, wow. you know, we'll put you to work. And and that is where I realized the power of self-advocacy, right? Sometimes we think just because when you look at what's in your hand, you think, Oh, well, maybe I don't have it doesn't all add up. But realizing that, oh, actually the way you tell your story and, and all it takes is one. So for me, in that moment, I realized the power of self-advocacy. And that's why I talk about it so much in my work, because we have more power than we think we do.
0: Wow, that is a phenomenal story. Man, talk about, just as a young person, recognizing that, hey, this is what I want to do. I don't have to look at what I have in my hand in terms of resources. I can be creative, right? I can find a way to achieve the goal that I want and the power of self-advocacy, the power of asking, the power of you know, really saying, I'm unwilling to accept no based on where I am in, in my life situation. I can figure this out. I love that. I love that. And to your point, it's been a common theme throughout your entire life. That moment has resonated through your entire life. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's been times where I may not have leaned into my voice fully, but Mm -hmm. I always go back to that moment with, if you don't do it, who will?
0: I love it. I love it. Well, well, let's move a little bit into your journey towards writing this book, because again, I mean, I'm sure that theme is going to show up. Why was it so important for you to write this book? And, you know, what inspired you to share the key lessons, such as the one you just outlined in self-advocacy with the world?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of people, I think, who aspire to be authors, and they say, you know, they've been working on this craft for a very long time. And it wasn't for me until, you know, later in my life where I realized that, you know, there was a gap in career development conversations and business books that talked about the experiences of black women and women of color. And I thought, you know, isn't that a shame? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Isn't it a shame that we're not talking about the intersectionality, talking about the unique challenges and opportunities that only women of color, black women face. And so for me, I just started to kind of think about, you know, how can I be part of the solution? Mm -hmm. How can I share what tools or resources I found to be helpful? because again sometimes if you are the only one you feel like you're in isolation right so you're questioning maybe how you show up to work you know if you do speak up that day all those sorts of things and and I wanted to say to black women listen i know you're out there i understand the struggle i understand the pain i know that you've worked really hard and where you are right now may not be the place for you, but I guarantee there is a place for you rather you it's in another building on your couch or you know, you build it yourself. And I think just saying, I see you, right? And I needed, I know how much I needed someone to say that to me. And there were times I didn't get it. And so I wanted to make sure that if I can inspire, even if it was just one woman to read the book and their manager or allies, then maybe we would all collectively roar just a little bit louder.
0: Wow, I love that. And you're, I thank you for doing that, because I mean, everything you articulate, I'm sure when you're talking, people are like, yes, that's exactly what I experienced, right? And so to your point, you're often the only one in the room, and you don't have that person to talk to. Um, you don't have that person to really get that level of comfort or advice or guidance in the, the workspaces that we sit in, because there's so few of us. So you you really began to speak our language and really um, articulate exactly what we were feeling. And so you know, how has that been received in a sense as you've gone across the country, if you've gone across the globe and began to, especially virtually, right? You know, you're able to touch so many corners of the world. What has been the response just at a high level from the Black women who are reading this book? Um, because I know for me, it was like, <sighs> she gets it. She's experienced it. <laughs> like, thank you so much, Menda, for really articulating everything that I've felt, everything that I've experienced over my career. So what have you been hearing?
1: Yeah, I would say that I would about probably 97% of people that I hear from, you know, be it black women are just like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because even those who are, you know, new in their career or even those who are more seasoned, they're just like, it just feels good to be seen. It feels good to be validated. And also it feels good to think about other ways that maybe I can enhance what I've already been doing. Right. And how there's some, maybe some gaps or that I I haven't honed in on like networking or something like that. And I think it just I love the conversation, the book clubs, the ERG conversations, employee resource groups, you know, those are the things that really push the needle. And, and in addition to that, I love it when I hear from people telling me that Oh, I've given it to my manager, right? Because yes. they need to read it too. <laughs> you know. So
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's really opening up the dialogue, it's opening up the conversation, and it's giving, you know, I would say it's giving folks who may not be, you know, part of our community insight into really how we experience the workforce. And I think it's creating a, a sensitivity and an awareness and a compassion around, hey, how can I truly lean in and help? And I'd love to talk a little bit about just the work that you've been doing with allies and how they're leveraging the book. But you know, you're know, you talking in the book a lot about how we can create a seat at a table, right? And I love that metaphor. We've all wanted a seat at the table. What are some of the specific places and spaces you think about when you talk about the table?
1: Yeah, you know, I think about, I have to say this too, Lakeisha, that my idea, even over the last year of what the table is, has really evolved. And I say that in a sense of, Yes, there is the proverbial table. And in COVID-19, obviously, the table looks different. But I would say that really, it starts in the mind first, Mm -hmm. because I think much of what gets in our way is sometimes that imposter syndrome or that questioning ourselves. And I think that we have to see ourselves at the table, we have to understand that we are already the room, like, Mm -hmm. uh, being in that space doesn't It's awesome, right? But it doesn't validate or invalidate what we bring to the table. And so I really try to talk about, you know, the table really has to be in your head already, right? You have to see yourself there regardless of if the people in that room see you there or not, you know. And so Mm -hmm. I think once we understand that, then we get to move a little bit different. And we have decisions that we can make. And so the table really is that influence. And I know many black women in particular, we probably have more influence in spaces. And we're not even in the room. Right. But how are we leveraging that? And so thinking about our opportunities without the walls. Right. And so really just deciding, you know, why do we want to be at the table? Is, is this necessary? Mm-hmm. What are our goals? Because sometimes we get to the table and then we just sit there. Right. And that's yeah. the, last thing. <laughs> the last thing I want any of us to just take up space in that way without activating what we actually have been called to do.
0: I love that. I love that. Right. It really is the mindset and already knowing that you've, you've earned the right to be there. So just take your seat and own it while you're there. And what I hear you say is use your voice while you're there to change the dynamics of the table. How have you, once you've sat at the table, removed the doubt and fear that you belong there and leveraged your voice you know in a way that can influence that table because sometimes fear can get in the way it can be very very scary because you know the table wasn't built for us at all and so we bring to your to your point some of the self-doubt the fear you know how have you overcome that and what what advice would you give to women and women of color around once you are at the table how you can leverage that table
1: yeah and, you know and it's something for me, I tell myself a new story every day because there will be those moments of self doubt. Unfortunately, I wish I could tell you that there aren't. Even at times right now in my life, I feel it starting to creep in, but I have to remind myself that I belong in every room I walk into, but every room doesn't deserve to have me.
0: Ooh, that's powerful. That is powerful.
1: <laughs> and once I realize that, I know that, okay. What my call is to do in this room has nothing to do with the people who may or may not want me there, right? And so what am I going to do with the opportunity that I have? So like right now, for example, a lot of companies are making commitments to Black women, to women of color, and okay, some of us might get new opportunities. And when we sit down in that new leadership role, we might start to question, well, did they choose me because of this or did Mm. they or that? And it's like, no, fear can't go. That voice can go where you're headed. You are there. <laughs> now, what are you going to do with it, right? When someone passes you the ball, what are you going to do with it? And so our job is to represent until we can bring others in the room with yes. us because we have to be that voice because otherwise the room is, we might as well not even be in there, right? <laughs> and so it's, it's absolutely. It's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we could be quiet from the outside, but now that <laughs> you're
0: inside, <laughs> yep. you know,
1: Let's activate. Let's shake it up a little bit. Let's shake the room because we know that nobody benefits when we're cautious. And I think that so many Black women have had to be cautious as a form of self-preservation, but now it's time to move into action and and we're going to have to activate these voices and it's inevitable that the room has to change. And so why shouldn't we be beneficiaries of this change?
0: Absolutely. I'm, you know, something just popped in my mind, right? I mean, that you know, you always just stay ready. You never have to get ready because you're always ready, right? You know, I, I'm sure your mom and your grandparents' moms just stay ready, right? You're <laughs> always ready when the opportunity presents itself. And to your point, I've already practiced in my mind. I've already ran through the plays in my mind. When I get to that table, here's how I'm going to change the table. I remember Roz Hudnell, who I think you know, who's the former chief diversity officer of Intel, always talked about. Leveraging the seat at the table, you're empowered at the table. And she said, When you better not leave that table until you change the dynamics of that room and the way that table looks, which is what you're talking about. I love that. I love that. You know, in your book, you discuss the importance of both mentorship and sponsorship. And I believe wholeheartedly in both, right? Because those are that when you have that group of people that are advocating on your behalf, that are lending you their brand, they're lending you your credibility, it certainly can accelerate you getting to that table much faster, right? You use the term success partner instead of ally in your book. And in particular, you mentioned Chuck. Tell us a little bit about Chuck and the role that he played, you know, in your life and then how inclusion plays a role in the journey for us actually being able to sit at that table.
1: Yeah. uh, Good old Chuck. Uh (laughs) (laughs) We we love Chuck. Everyone has a Chuck, right? Probably. (laughs) Everybody has a Chuck in some way, shape or form, right? right. Or if you don't have one, hope I hope that you will find one soon. But Chuck was interesting because if I were just to look at, when I met Chuck, we were both at, what do you call it? Like a gala. And we we didn't know each other. And we were, you know how sometimes you're at these galas and you're just paired at a table with people you mm-hmm. may or may not know. <laughs> so we ended up sitting next to each other and, you know, Chuck is Leaning toward his, you know, seniors. And at the time I I was still in my twenties and, and, uh, on paper, probably on look, if you took a photo and looked at this, we could have been the most like furthest thing from, you know, who doesn't belong here? Like where's Waldo? And. But at the end, we started kind of talking about our careers and he told me about his and and he gave me his business card. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to stay connected to Chuck because I think, you know, he's where I want to be at some point in my career. You Mm -hmm. know, he's doing his consulting. He was in fundraising as well. And so long story short, I stayed connected with Chuck. I built a relationship with Chuck and, and he invested in me and he took from just, introducing me to certain people to actually putting his neck out for me, you know, helping me leverage my career. There was I was working on one or I wanted to apply it to one role and I didn't have, you know, all of the experience. And he talked to me about create, you know, telling your career story, right? Asking for what you want. He's like, people are doing it all the time. Why can't you do it too? You know, he was very much like pushing me to greatness. And I think we need that coach. Mm -hmm. You know, now I look at Chuck Yes, as he invested in my success with his capital, with people he knew. he, yes. he put that in. And uh, let me say this, Lakeisha, he had only at that time when he started to help me and we'd have conversations, I hadn't seen Chuck again for years, right? Wow. But we always stay connected like on phone and email and he used his privilege for good, right? And mm-hmm. even to this day, we still communicate and you know, we both help each other in, in, in the same ways. And I'm just so happy- that I didn't look at Chuck and say what is this white man who's in his you know 60s going to be yeah. able to do for mm-hmm. me right but we were able to build a relationship and I think once we build relationships with with people then they're able to get to know us in a way to be able to vouch for us so I think as black women in particular we often don't get some of those opportunities because people don't know us yes. right or they feel like they don't know us and I think in order to close some of that gap leadership opportunity whatever have you I think we need to be putting ourselves in the spaces to get to know the Chucks of the world.
0: I totally agree with you. I love that, right? Because, you know, career development is a team sport, as one of my friends, Vicky Mule Espinosa, talks about, right? And so, you know, anything we want to achieve in our career, it has to be done in partnership with others, And what you're saying is it's important for us as women, especially African-American women, is to kind of build that personal board of advisors, that that network, get outside of our comfort zone and kind of meet some of the, sometimes maybe the most unsuspecting characters, so to speak, for lack of a better term, because you never know what those connections could lead to. It may not lead to an opportunity, but it could lead to a friendship for life. And that sounds like um, what you have in shock today, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I would have never guessed that we would have had that kind of relationship but he's always been a wealth of wisdom and knowledge and and we always need those people in our corner
0: absolutely so talk a little bit about really leveraging maybe a career coach in in life i mean sometimes you know as black women you know many times you know we're carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders we're solving problems not just in in our corporate environment but in our home environment within our communities and we may not always invest in ourselves how, you know, valuable would you say it is for women and women of color to have a career coach or someone that can really help them navigate, you know, the large corporate landscapes that we're a part of to achieve the levels of success that we desire?
1: I think it's uh, critical, okay. <laughs> critical to the success, not to say that if you don't have a coach or you didn't invest in yourself, you can get to the table. But I think you can maximize your potential having somebody who's also invested in your success as well. And once I realized that some of my colleagues were starting to like advance in ways that I wasn't, and they had an executive presence, right. And mm-hmm. I could visibly see that. And I inquired, you know, what, what's going on with you? <laughs> and they're like, oh, a coach, you know, and it's something that I didn't even know was a thing, you know, a, a career coach. And I thought, well, that makes sense because every star has You know, a coach, right? You know, even Serena Williams has a coach, right? As wonderful in all of her skills, right? But a coach helps take you to the next level because they can see some of the, you know, areas of improvement or help us hone in on some of you know our rock star qualities. And I really do believe at every level of our success, we're going to need someone who can help us just take it up just a bit, right? And even as an entrepreneur, I still utilize coaches because. There's certain things that I'm just not as well versed in, right? And I know that if I have someone who's pouring their particular expertise and giving me these new tools, then how can I lose? Right? Absolutely. <laughs> so that we have to learn to invest in ourselves. And I know that you know some people will push back and say, hey, I have my degree. I have the certifications. But sometimes to really catapult our career, we may also need to invest in ourselves in some ways that we hadn't considered.
0: No, you're spot on. Right. I mean, I, you know, we are a best investment. And to your point, as you talked about, and many times it's so easy for us to invest our time, energy, and effort in other things and sometimes neglect ourselves. But, you know, to your point, you know, you're your own company. You're your own brand. I'm my own company. And I'm my own brand. I may contract my services out. To other companies, but at the end of the day, if I want my stock value, so to speak, to rise or you know my company's evaluation um, valuation to rise, I've got to make that investment and so that's I love how you put that. It's so important for us to not negotiate on that point.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely you know even in real time, like you know say I have some extra resources and I could say, you know what? I've been on these Zoom calls. I really need some <laughs> some new shirts, you know. Right. Some new, and instead of saying, "Well, you know what? I'll keep wearing the shirts I have," but I'm gonna invest this money in a new website, right? Because I, to your point, I am my brand, right? Can I take this couple thousand dollars and redo my website so that I have more speaking opportunities? So that I have, you know, some of those things. So I think when we think about the investment, at the end of the day, that new website will allow me. To potentially get the shirts I want, right? <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. That is the mindset we must have, right? Investing for the long-term, not for a short-term game, which is why you he said, hey, I'm going to take the dollars to invest in my website, which is going to produce more opportunity, more revenue, and I can buy whatever shirt I want, right? <laughs> <laughs> and all the colors if I desire. <laughs>
1: last one of them. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Okay. I want that one, that one, that one. But anyway, (laughs) well, listen, I know you like Audra Lorde and you've often heard you say, you share her quote that says the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And there are so many women of color blowing that quote up that are blowing the table up as entrepreneurs. And you're a perfect example of that. You know, they're creating their own path to make work look different for them. And we, I mean, I know not everyone can do that, But in this sense, you know, it requires us to play the game in a broken system, right? And we've talked about that, the system being broken, to get to a table that truly wasn't created for us in the first place. And so this is something that I think people of color and other marginalized groups have have basically wrestled with for a long time. The balance between creating change within a system or outside of that system. Can you speak to what this looks like for women of color in the workforce? And maybe how can we begin to dismantle and change the system of oppression that sometimes makes it really, really challenging for us at work.
1: Yeah, um, and that's a difficult thing, right? It's not lost on me that everybody doesn't want to play this game, Mm -hmm, (laughs) everybody doesn't want to be in the room. And I think that's okay too, because we need people sitting on both sides of the aisle. And so what I will say is, you know, realize what are your non-negotiables. So it's hard to change a system if you're not part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so even right now, again, with all these companies saying what they're going to do to make, you know, Black Lives Matter inside of the workplace for their employees, it's going to require them to invite some of us to the table, mm-hmm. right? Or we invite ourselves <laughs> our strategically. <Right. laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's really defining moment right now because we get to decide the decisions that we make right now, the mm-hmm. moves, mm-hmm. the strategies. Will really dictate what the next generation of women of color experience in the workplace. And so when we look at the broken system, yes, it's broken, but right now we have an opportunity to dismantle it and rebuild it with our ideas, with our brilliance and with our skill set. And I would encourage all black women to lean into this moment Mm -hmm. because this is where the change is about to occur. Right. So again, I mentioned we can't be cautious any longer. We really have to lean into our courage and even though the system is broken, we get to be part of rebuilding it back up because otherwise we're going to continue to be knocking at the door, right? And be frustrated. And so now that we haven't been invited to the room, let's hold our leaders accountable and say, Hey, I actually would love to talk about this because I have some ideas too, like leverage and make work work for you right now. And so again, it's less about them and everything about how we make the workplace better for us and for future generations. And I think once we realize that this is about disrupting the system, but again, in order to disrupt the system, you have to be in the system, right? But then you, at the same token, you might decide, I don't want to be a part of this system and I'm going to create new systems. And we need that too. And so thinking about that, yes, and right, it doesn't necessarily mean that one way is better than the other.
0: That's so powerful what you just said, Minda. The time is now. The opportunity is now. The door has been open to have the conversations, but also the door has been open to walk in and say, I'm going to sit here and here's what I want to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. I think every CEO in America, most of the leadership teams that I'm a part of and my current work environment are opening up this dialogue. They're more empathetic. They're wanting to know more. They're wanting to know how can I help you? And so we cannot lose this this moment in time. And we have to capitalize on it, to your point, because the decisions we make, the actions we take, the conversations we have, to your point, I couldn't have said it any better, are truly going to be game-changing and, game and defining for the next generation of folks walking into the workplace that look like me and you, correct?
1: Absolutely. And this is, you know, to your point, LaKeisha, it's also strategy. Like, don't just mm-hmm. go in there and be like, oh, I hear you're doing stuff for Black women now. you <laughs> What are you asking for? What are your asks, right? How can you add to the solution right now? Because also too, we got to be smart about this, right? So don't let strategy just fall to the wayside, right? We still have to be strategic in what we're asking for because it's a long game, right? We don't want it to just be this moment, but it's a marathon.
0: It really is. It really is. And, you know, I love to your point, I know you've talked to a lot of employee resource group leaders, a lot of C-suite executives you know, over the last year and prior to that. And I think to your point, it's not just the conversations. We really have to be strategic. And I mean, even in some of our ERGs, we're having the conversation, how do we start to partner with this C-suite? You know, how do we really advance the agenda that's been there for years, but now the door has been open, so to speak. And so I just think it's important to your point that we, we galvanize, right? We strategize as leaders and say, hey, Here's what we believe will advance the goals of the company because the company is going to achieve their goals once they have critical mass of what the rest of the world looks like and they're listening to those folks inside the company. And that's what we've been saying for a long time. Give us a seat at the table. We represent a huge portion of your demographic that you're serving. We can help you. Diversity to me is not black or white. It's green because it impacts the bottom line. And so um, Strike While the Iron's Hot, I love, exact- I love it. I love it. I love it.
1: Yes. Absolutely
0: do. So to your point, I mean, we talked about the power of community for women of color. And we draw so much strength from your community, which is why your book was just like manna from heaven. Like, yes, OK, our souls are being fed, <laughs> you know, but there are also a multitude of, of white people and men of all ethnicities who are waking up and asking, how can they help? In light of everything that's being revealed in our environment today, especially around Black Lives Matter and really just how people of color are impacted in the workforce. What advice would you give to my ally listeners who want to do their part in elevating women of color to their rightful place at the table?
1: Yeah, I think, again, like for black people, we have a unique opportunity, but equally, our counterparts, our allies or those who want to be better allies have a unique opportunity now As well, right? Mm -hmm. And they get to decide how their actions are going to help make the workplace or not make the workplace better than we found it. And so I would say three things listen, educate, then activate, right? Because Mm -hmm. just like many people may have been like Girl Scouts or Brownies or Boy Scouts, you know, you only got the badge when you did the work. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So in order to change the system, it's going to require. Some work and it's going to require some courage. And I think that, again, to your point, you know, success is not a solo sport. We can't be the only ones trying to move this needle. It's really going to take work from all angles.
0: I love it. I love it. Listen, educate, and activate. Do the work, then you earn the badge. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So, you know, I know you have a vision, right, for women of color. In the workforce. And your, your book is certainly helping us realize that vision. Talk a little bit more about what's on your heart and mind when you think of uh, the future of women of color in the workplace.
1: Yeah, I'm very optimistic, really. And I think I'm optimistic because of what we've been discussing this kind of portal right mm-hmm. now, <laughs> and mm-hmm. this opportunity that if we take advantage of what's going on right now in the right type of way, then we really can position ourselves to hold the seats we need to right? Because having a seat at the table is a direct link to uh, pay equity. It's also a direct link to board placement, right? So when we're not in these rooms, we don't have the opportunity to serve on the public boards, right? Public traded boards. And I think, again, it's all the spaces. We need to be in every single spaces. I, ha- I have this one shirt that I wear and it says women belong in the house and the Senate. Like we need to be in every single space. I love it. Now, okay. Because, <laughs> because our voices required for every facet in every industry. And so for me, I'm really excited about what five years looks like, what 10 years looks like. And even when we leave, because again, the work that we do now is creating a whole new paradigm could potentially produce a whole new paradigm for black women. And I do believe if we activate and if we band together that the future is so bright, like literally, and I know that sounds so cliche, but I just see, what's possible. And if we mm-hmm. all move into it, we really can see some real change. I mean, even the fact that right now people are talking about a Black woman as a VP candidate, I never thought I'd see the day. You know? I know, I know, right? Whew. Love Just it. Just me in the conversation.
0: <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I mean, wow. Our ancestors, you know, dream for us, right. Was to be in places and spaces um, that they they gave their lives for, right? I mean, you know, for one, having the first African-American president and Barack Obama, and now the potential of having a woman, African-American woman as a vice president, right? I think they'd be proud. I really think they'd be proud, but not satisfied <laughs> in a good way, right?
1: We gotta work. That's why we gotta keep doing the work, <laughs> exactly. Like,
0: come on, there's more that you can do, right? You can, you know, now next step is she can become VP, but then she's gonna become president, right? <laughs> You talk about, you know, the lessons that you've learned over your career in terms of really being an advocate for yourself and getting paid what you're worth. And again, it's about having those courageous, sometimes uncomfortable conversations to ask. Talk about maybe things that we can do as women of color to make sure that we're asking, we're taking the right steps to make sure that we can close the pay gap that we know that exists between African-American women and white women and African-American women and white men.
1: Yeah, this is really key because I think right now uh, one thing that I would encourage you know employee resource groups to do something that I hope is on the agendas is pay equity audits. Like let's get down to checking to make sure everybody's making what they should be making Mm -hmm. and that there aren't there's disparities in the pay in our companies. And I think that that's a good place to start. But part of the equation that we can solve is what we ask for. Mm -hmm. If we never ask, then we continue to widen the gap and so yes you may not always hear the answer that you want but if you you know go to the payscales.com you go to the salary.coms you talk to people do those informational interviews and find out you know what is the going rate so that you're not coming in thinking oh if I asked for 80 but actually the person that was hired right before you they got a hundred you know but when we don't <laughs> find out we don't investigate what's going on then sometimes we sell ourselves short and again lean into it because negotiations happen on both sides. And if you find that your company is he and, and hon over, you know, a few extra dollars, then that's going to be the least of your concerns when you get, get into the place. So, right. you know, if, if they're not respecting your negotiation from the get-go, then that's a clear sign, not in all cases, but I do believe that that can show you how invested they will be for other things that you try and advocate for uh, later on. And so, you know, role play, if you need to negotiation is high stakes. So don't feel like you have to just, you know, go off the top of your head. For me, I role play, I write scripts, you know, I do all the things to make me feel comfortable. And this is where a coach comes in to their negotiation coaches to help you with this. And if you've never asked for, you know, $50,000 more, or a, or a bonus or whatever the number is, get somebody who can help you make sure that you're most prepared when you make that ask.
0: I love it. I love it. Right. The key is preparation, role playing, and really understanding that you're worth it. Right. And going to have the conversation.
1: Somebody's getting it.
0: <laughs> I know that's right. Why not me? Right. Why not you? <laughs> and again, we're our own corporation, our own brand. Right. And so you're advocating for being paid what you're worth. So I love that. You know, I've heard you mention that in 2018, Nielsen came out with a study that says African American women will reach $1.5 trillion in buying power by 2021. That's just around the corner. How can we accept the value that we bring and own that and really, and I don't want to say demand, but maybe put a demand uh, on the respects and opportunities that we deserve at the table.
1: Absolutely. You know, back to Audrey Lord, she has this great quote that says, beware of feeling like you're not good enough to deserve it. And I think because we've been used to kind of receiving scraps in or crumbs that some of us have gotten used to that. So we don't know what a full cake looks like right? But let me tell you, I've tasted it and it's good. (laughs) (laughs) And and I encourage every Black woman that I get a chance to, to ask, ask, ask. Just recently, I had someone slide into my direct messages and, and they're on national TV a couple times a week on, you know, a major news station. They're a Black woman. And they're like, you know what? I just was asked to do something. And I've been doing everything for free. You know, what is the rate? Mm. I said, you better not ask for anything less than $10,000. I said, just put it out there, you know? And because what'll happen is they'll probably won't give you 10, but then it's somewhere between five to seven, right? Exactly. (laughs) They're going to
0: negotiate, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So so you got to start high. And, you know, she did just that and she got the number that she got, but she's like, oh my gosh, I feel so empowered. Now I'm going to go talk to the news place and say, hey, you guys got to start compensating me for my time, right? And so Mm -hmm. once you have a taste of that, you lean into that. You're like, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I be paid and compensated for my, and again, we're not going to close the wage gap if we don't ask. And so again, maybe you don't get it every time, but you can't be mad at yourself for not investing. That's part of investing in yourself is making those ask. And the more that I do it, you encourage the next one. and, And then we're doing it together. And they're just used to black women asking for what they want. (laughs)
0: I know that's right. That is so powerful, right? And again, you know, I just appreciate the person that you mentioned, the woman um, who's on national TV, reaching out to you, reaching out to someone in the community to ask the question, how can I make sure I'm paid what I'm worth? What is the going rate? And I know I I love following you on Twitter. I mean, you're so um, supportive of the community. You're always asking, how can you be kind of that that partner, success partner for all of us, right? You know, how can you open doors for us? And so I really appreciate that. I mean, it speaks to what you talk about in your book, the importance of building your squad and bringing co-travelers, partners along with you. Can you talk about maybe how you went about identifying the right people for your squad and how you utilize them today? I mean, one example was the young lady leveraging you as part of her squad. I don't Mm -hmm. know if she realized that to really help her navigate this new space for her talk a little bit about the importance of building your squad
1: it's so important and it took me a while I think in my former career to understand that I that I can't do it alone you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and that once you get into it you can't do it alone or shouldn't want to do it alone and you need people that you can trust and some of those squad members might be around for a lifetime some might be around for a season but the reality is you know get people who are invested in your success and who you can invest back into their success. And you know, I meet so many people along the way now that I feel like I have just like an NBA league, right? Of just squad members, you know, that I've been along the way. Like yourself too. You know, like we we're all here to make sure that we're creating space and doing the work so that others can benefit too. And I think the more that we have these conversations, especially as black women, like we need each other more than ever. And we, there's enough for all of us. And so I don't subscribe to the mindset. Well, if I tell her, then maybe that's going to take away from me or any of those things. No, I win when you win too. And, mm-hmm. and when you understand that I can root for my success and I can root for yours too. Like it's not taking anything away. And I, and I think those are the people, those are the squad members that are going to have the seats because we know that we don't get anything of being there by ourselves.
0: Absolutely! Wow, that was just just powerful, Amanda. You're you're spot on. You know, in talking about building your squad, and I know I've got to let you go, but I'm I'm just so enjoying our time together. But when we talk about building our squad, and you talked about a diversity of members on your squad and allies, you know, as you've gone around the world this last year and talking about the awesome wisdom in your book, and people are asking you questions, I do want to touch on white women because I have some amazing success partners and white women, I mean, I just adore them. They've just been game changers in my life. Talk about maybe how you're engaging in conversations with them and how we as African-American women can pull them in more along our journey.
1: Yeah, I think it goes back to us being in this really interesting time period right now. And I do believe, that we do need to partner with white women as well. You know, I don't give white women a pass in my book, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I do invite them to be part of the solution. And I have a lot of great friends, squad members that are white women, and we still have those hard conversations that we need to have, right? Because we know they make us better for having them. And so I would say as black women, you know, there may have been a few who may have burned us, but we can't afford to cast everyone aside. You know, find your who... And don't worry about who isn't. And I think there's a lot of white women who are ready to educate themselves and activate. And let's work with those people.
0: Love it, love it, love it. You know, as a STEM professional, I was happy to see your reference to hidden figures in Black Panther's Shuri, right? Who was a, I call her the CTO uh, of Wakanda. (laughs) You know, why do you think it's important for young girls to see people who look like them being successful in STEM career fields or really any career fields? Talk a little bit about the importance of of us giving back to the next generation and them being able to see us in any space, in any role.
1: Yeah, I think it's so important. I mean, even for young girls to have seen, you know, Shuri and Hidden Figures, but then us big girls, right? Like, you yes. are empowered <laughs> by, it, by, it, by it too. And it makes us redefine what success means, right? And it shows that, yes, we can be Beyonce, but we also can be a scientist. We can Mm -hmm. also be a technologist. We can also be a software engineer. Like we don't have to be limited by what the system has told us that we're only good at two things, Mm -hmm. right? Entertainment and sports, right? But that there's so many other genres and things that we can do with our minds and that we don't have to shrink. And so I love having this catalog of industries that Black women and girls can say, you know what? I can do that, right? Or I've always had an interest in, in mathematics. Let me investigate that. You know, let me go take a couple courses and get a certification. Like sky is the limit for us. And we're never too old or too young to reimagine what success can be for ourselves. And so let's keep having, you know, the series of the world, because that helps us get in these rooms, be a part of the solution, be a part of the new software that takes away the bias. You know, like we need us at every stage of business.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, listen, I want to be mindful of time, but I wanted to ask you, is there anything that you want to share with the audience that I hadn't asked you yet?
1: You know what? I just want to say thank you, Lakeisha, for how you hold space, for inviting me on your platform to have this important conversation. And I want to thank all the listeners who have purchased the memo or gave it to a friend or who will in the future purchase it and know that this work, we need each and every one of us to lean into it because so many of our ancestors leaned in for us and who are we going to be courageous for? And so when you're scared or you're nervous, think about who we got to be courageous for.
0: I love it. I love it. And speaking of that, right, the book you have to get this book. And, and, and really, you need to buy multiple copies. You know, I, I know for Christmas holidays, it was giving the book out to everyone. I knew. Like, you need to read this book. This is the guide. You're right. Every young person entering any workforce, corporate America or not, this is the guide for you to navigate those large, complex landscapes and be successful. It doesn't matter your, your race, but especially for women of color. And I'd also like for you to share, what are some of the ways my listeners can really connect with you on all channels? Where can we find you?
1: Yes, please go to MindaHearts.com and join my mailing list. I call it The Squad. You'll find out everything that I'm up to. That's probably the best place. And then I'm most active on, on Twitter, so at MindaHearts.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's wrap up with the fast five. So I'm going to ask you, I'll say a word or a phrase and you can tell me the first thing that comes to mind. What's your favorite food? Chicken sandwich. I love it. Okay. Okay. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Oh,
1: bad reality TV. Like okay. how- <laughs>
0: <laughs> You said bad reality TV. Is there one that stands out above the rest for you? <laughs>
1: The Housewives of Atlanta and Potomac. Those are my guilty pleasures. <laughs> I love it.
0: I love it. A good way to just decompress and laugh, right? <laughs> um, you know, what's your favorite book uh, or a book you're reading right now? I know the memo, it better be the favorite. I'm sure it is. But what's maybe a book you're reading right now?
1: Oh, yeah. I'm actually reading a few books. But right now I'm reading a book called The Racial Healing Handbook. And it's just talking about ways in which we can heal from racial trauma.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. Sounds like we all need to get that. Okay. (laughs) I know you've been super busy, probably even more busy now that we can't travel, right? Because you're probably on Zoom calls all day and all night. But, you know, if you have an opportunity to watch TV, do you have a current Netflix addiction?
1: I absolutely do. I I try to make on the weekends where I can catch up a little bit, but I'm really enjoying the Indian Matchmaker. Have you seen that show?
0: (laughs) I have not, but I need to check that out. Take a look. <laughs> okay, good deal. And once we can travel again, what's maybe on your list? You know, where have you put the dot on the map to say this is where I'm going?
1: Well, my mom would say to her house in Illinois to see her first. So after <laughs> I do that, I gotta get to a beach, Lakeisha. I just need some sun. <laughs> I
0: know. And just the waves Mexico. and the water, right? Mexico sounds good. Yeah, but to your point, first you've gotta go by mama's house. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it has been an absolute joy and pleasure. And again, I can't thank you enough for all that you're doing for the community, for women of color. Your voice is the voice we need right now. It's the leadership voice that we need to really help us step into our greatness. And you're calling it out of each and every one of us on every platform. And I just say, thank you, Menda. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of ROAR. Tune in next time for more awesome talks with people at the top don't forget to subscribe and share, so you're the first to know when our newest episodes are available. Until next time...